Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. I'm Tracy P. Wilson. We recently talked about the real-life Cyrano de Bergerac on the show, and in that episode, we mentioned the Edmond Rostand play from 1897 and how that piece of writing has defined the image that most of us have of Cyrano de Bergerac. And that play is an interesting piece of history in its own right because it's been staged theatrically innumerable times, made into movies, even adapted as a ballet. And there is a new film adaptation of the play, which is out as of February 25th. And I recently had the opportunity to talk to some of the people who made the film and ask them their thoughts on why Cyrano's story endures. And this doesn't quite fit our normal format for a show, but I thought it was really interesting. So this week, you are getting this as a bonus episode. And Holly did all of these interviews. I am as eager to hear them as uh, I'm sure listeners are. So the first thing Holly asked each of them was whether they would consider themselves history buffs, and here were their answers. No, no, not at all. Um, History of film, maybe. History in general, no, 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 no. No, not at all. I love history, but I'm not a scholar. (laughs) Yes. Okay, those voices you just heard were Haley Bennett, who plays Roxanne in the film, Joe Wright, who directed it, cinematographer Seamus McGarvey, and Erica Schmidt, who wrote this adaptation from Rostand's play. But there was one person that I interviewed that I did not ask that question of, because to me, the answer was going to be pretty obvious. And that was choreographer C.D. Larby Sherkawi. I knew that his ballet and dance background meant that he would have studied history in his time. And he has also choreographed pieces that have historical inspiration. So I asked him instead how history had shaped his career. And here is what he had to say. Well, I mean, I grew up in Belgium, uh, so and my education was always kind of linked to Greek tragedy and and the Romans and everything that was connected to the way Europe kind of developed. Uh, so, so for sure, I think I I grew up with a deep sense of understanding that the here and now isn't the only thing that defines the here and now. That the here and now is defined by everything that came before. So. Uh, Next to that, I think I was living in Antwerp. We're kind of surrounded with paintings and elements that remind us of a specific past, like let's say the 16th century or things like this. And and so I definitely have always been kind of attracted also as a human being and as an artist to the past. Everyone that Holly talked to, though, talked really passionately about history when they chatted. And one of the really interesting takes on engaging with history came from director Joe Wright, who said he didn't think of himself as a history buff at all. That doesn't really hold up when you look at his work. In case you haven't connected the dots on his career, he's actually directed a lot of films with historical settings. So there's the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, Anna Karenina, and Darkest Hour. So Holly asked him about what draws him to historical stories, and his answer was about his father. I guess one of the reasons why I've always been interested in history is because my dad was 65 when I was born. Um, And so he had lived a lot of life before I knew him, you know? And so I I was intrigued by 
what the world had been like when he was a boy or a young man, you know? Um, I think that's why I've made a couple of movies set during the Second World War. You know, he was around. And so to try and understand the world in which he lived. And then I've just kind of kept on going back and back and back. This film project, though, all actually started with an adaptation for the stage that Erica Schmidt wrote. She also happens to be married to the star of the Cyrano de Bergerac film, Peter Dinklage. And I asked her what made her want to take this 120-year-old play and try to make it new. I love the play very much. And um, I wanted to kind of ask it some questions to kind of engage with it in a dialogue because... The Rostand is a play, it is about love, but the way that he speaks about love and that everyone says, oh gosh, it's so beautiful the way you're talking about love within the play, I found kind of frustrating. I wanted it to be less, I guess. I wanted it to be as elegant as a poem and less uh, verbose, I guess. And then I was curious It's almost the same thing, but it's just a different part of the play. This idea that he wears this large fake nose, the actor wears a large fake nose, and then then he spends so much time talking about how hideous his nose is. And then we sort of agree, we laugh because we know it's fake. And that to me felt kind of like a lie. Um, And so I, I thought, what would it be if he didn't wear the nose or ever say what it is that he finds physically unattractive about himself? So when Holly and I were first talking about the possibility of interviewing these folks and having a bonus episode of the show, one of the things that kept coming up was the filming location, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And every single person from the cast and the crew that Holly spoke to had just incredible passion about this location. It was in Noto, Sicily, again, a UNESCO World Heritage Site in an area that was destroyed by an earthquake in the early 1690s and then was rebuilt in the Baroque style starting in the remaining years of the 17th century. Uh, They all had an appreciation for the history of this location. Seamus McGarvey talked a lot about how being in that specific space felt almost like this incredibly perfect, massive backlot. Well, I mean, Noto is, as you say, the most beautiful place. The place, actually, and its its gorgeous Baroque architecture, sort of inspired the way I approached the photography. That's the the strange thing. When I first visited, I'd never been to Sicily, even though I live in Tuscany. And uh, when we went there, it was immediately clear how we should move the camera, the, the, the quality of the light, all those things. Everywhere you look is just so worn and rich and and sort of ancient well not quite ancient but i think 1692 is when the the buildings of noto were built after a, a terrible earthquake and they were all built in a city plan so it actually feels it has the coherence and the cohesion of a backlot stage because it feels like it's been done by the same designer production designer oh right 1692 And that lends it a a sort of a continuity visually. Choreographer Sherka Wee talked about how the spaces they worked in felt like they were just inviting the team to create art. We were developing things sometimes in Antwerp, certain things I was sending towards London to for Joe to 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 look at. So I was I was developing things. uh, And then when I came and arrived in in Italy and in Noto specifically, I visited all the all the spaces 
and I realized, oh, I have to change a lot of things and, and kind of adapt to the, to the surrounding to make sure that whatever we were doing was adapted to this table or was adapted to that space in which they were all going to be fencing. So there was a lot of uh, adjusting, but it was, uh, it was lovely because it was as if the, the spaces were really welcoming us, as if they had been craving uh, humans to be in there uh, being active and creating art. So it, it's really, I think those, those spaces, uh, they are beautiful and sometimes they are too abandoned. They are actually too, you know, they are, and you can feel this. I feel like when you go there as a, you know, if you're a little bit spiritual in this, you, you kind of feel like it's asking us to, to be creating rituals within it. So it was a real pleasure to see it having all this furniture coming in and suddenly the space became alive again and started to have a purpose and felt like a home in which all these things could indeed happen. And here is Erica Schmidt talking about the location and having her writing being performed there. Because it was my first screenplay, I just didn't, I didn't get the scale of it in the way that I did when I stood on Mount Etna and watched all those soldiers sing wherever I fall. I thought, oh, this is kind of amazing, you know. Holly asked Seamus McGarvey what the biggest challenge was working on a historical location when every space, that's the theater and the houses and the battlefield, all of that, they each need to have a very different look, as well as what his favorite aspect of working in Noto was. And here's what he said. Well, definitely the most challenging was Mount Etna, filming up there at, at you know 16,000 feet or 9,000 feet eventually. We had to go down lower at some point because of the snows were uh, sending us down there. But it was immensely difficult at, at altitude for, for all of us, for the crew, moving, sort of lugging boxes around. You know, the, the, the kind of instability of the land meant we, we couldn't really track or move the camera. So we had to adopt a more static approach to that, which sort of suits... And we went for a very, we pulled all the filtration off the camera that we'd been using prior for those more painterly moments earlier in the film. And we went for something, as you say, stark and lithographic and really um, to show the veracity and uh, the, the, the truth of war. Um, so that was the, the, but my favorite parts, I, I actually really liked the end uh, which I, I don't want to put spoilers for your listeners, but um, at the end of the movie, it's three years later and Cyrano comes back and Roxanne's in the convent. And when we went there to this location, a church on the top of a hill, uh, it was extraordinary the way the sun was coming through. And I took a photograph, two photographs. And the first one, I, I sort of accidentally overexposed it. And Joe and I saw it and said, look, this is the way to go on this because it feels sort of heavenly and it feels divine in some way. And it feels like you're in a kind of a dream space between life and death. And, yeah. and uh, that was, I really enjoyed doing it. And I love when a mistake leads to a, a creative decision. One of the other things that he mentioned during our talk was how technology has helped make filming in historical locations easier because LED lights are inherently less dangerous than some of the previous equipment they've used, uh, which is just a nice little interesting 
a bit of trivia. But I also love that Haley Bennett told me what she thinks should really be in the history books about Noto. It was a dream come true. Having kind of emerged from isolation and entering this this incredible baroque like masterpiece it was a really liberating experience in and of itself given that we had spent so much time in lockdown this was during the first lockdown and then you know noto is this incredible gem baroque masterpiece of a city we discovered it because sarah greenwood went a few years ago while she was on a scout for a cannoli apparently they have the best cannoli in the world there as well which should also be in the history books i i should think um food is very important She also talked about how unique this set was because of the time in current history when it was being filmed. And essentially, we had the great fortune to have Noto as our back lot, which was a very rare time. You know, it was a a very, I think, you know, because it was such a rare time in history, there was no tourism. You know, people were hidden away in their homes and the streets were empty and we had free reign of Noto. We we got this, the keys to the city. And so we were able to create a bubble in this beautiful place and kind of, it, it creates a world of fantasy that is very transportive. And speaking of keys to the city, Joe Wright also told me this incredibly fun story about one of the locals who helped them out while they were on location. I haven't spoken about him. There was this lovely character called, everyone called the Professor or the Professori. And this old guy wandered about the city with this enormous bunch of keys, right? I mean, like the biggest bunch of keys you've ever seen, none of them labeled. Um, and if ever you said, oh, Professori, I'd like to, I wonder what's in this building. This could be interesting. Or maybe there's a view from the rooftop here. And he would say, oh, momento. And he'd find a key and then let us in. And he had literally the keys to the city. We later found out that he wasn't really like a professor. He was actually the physical education instructor at the local high school. But he was the guy who had been entrusted with the keys to the city. Because this film was made during the pandemic, the production was incredibly small. They created a production bubble on location. And as a consequence, they created a group that was really similar to historical theater troupe. Here's director Joe Wright on that. Yeah, we created this troupe of 120, I think, local extras who had a wonderful time. And they were part of our bubble And we used them as aristocrats in the theatre or bakers in the bakery or soldiers uh, up Mount Etna. Um, They were our little, you know, travelling troupe. And yeah, it was a kind of, it it felt like a theatre company. It felt like that kind of company atmosphere where we were all defiantly making something of beauty in a bleak world. Throughout 
all of these conversations that I had, I kept wondering what it is about Rastan's play that brings creators and audiences back to it over and over and over. So I asked everyone from the production that I spoke with what they think is the reason, and I got a really fun array of answers. The film is about human connection. It's about our inability to express or accept love. I think that's such a universal experience, human experience. And it's uh, one of the most famous love triangles in history. I think there's two things. I think the I think the idea of the nose is a genius metaphor for all of our experience of feeling unworthy of love. And so it has a kind of level of specificity that makes it universal. And so I think I think that's a genius metaphor. Um, I then also think that the play originally is structurally perfect. Uh, it is solid as a rock. And so that's something I, I, I found working on the adaptation is that the play's structure works and it's solid and therefore it gives you a foundation from which you can spring and, and, and imagine and, and go to different places. I think it's linked to the character's incredible uh, talent on the one side and on the other side, an inability to be completely honest with what he feels the deepest, you know, like it's all of us can relate to the idea of hiding our deepest desire. So what you want the most is the thing that you dare not say, uh, is the thing you will hide. And as you're hiding it, it might never come to pass. So it's this very difficult tension between daring to speak out your dream or not, which for him is to love Roxanne and for her to love him. Uh, and I think that that uh, is something very recognizable. I think it's the lying. Joe Wright had some additional thoughts about why this story was so important for him to tell at this moment in our lives. And it makes it really clear how turning to history can sometimes feel like the best way to express and consider the things we're dealing with in our own lives. I guess the story is about human connection, our inability to connect sometimes, our failure to connect and our need to connect, our need and fear of intimacy, of being seen. And that felt extremely pertinent, you know, sitting in lockdown in my house where, you know, at a time when, when, when human connection had literally been severed to make a film about the wonder of human connection and the importance of human connection uh, felt really, really important. It's also a story about difference. It's about not seeing beyond our differences and understanding that intrinsically our similarities are greater than our differences. And that also felt like something that, even with the pandemic aside, felt like something that the world has been trying to battle recently because I think so often these days we're we're being forced to look at each other's differences rather than our similarities. 
Many, many thanks to Erica Schmidt, Haley Bennett, Joe Wright, Seamus McGarvey, and Sidi Larby Sherkoe for chatting with me for this bonus episode and just for creating this incredibly lovely film. Our producer Casey and I got to see an advanced screening of Cyrano de Bergerac, and I can honestly tell you that I absolutely loved it, and I found it extraordinarily beautiful. And it is out now if you wish to see it, and now you will have the behind-the-scenes knowledge on how the people behind it thought about this project and its history, and I hope you've enjoyed this and that you also enjoy the film. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.